afternoon, universe, and welcome to Cross Defense, your weekly dose of knowing why you believe what you believe so that you will be prepared to give an answer to anyone who would ask you about that hope you have in you in the totality of Jesus, of who he is, of what he's done, of what he's going to come again to do. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we are continuing our journey through Dr. Francis Pieper's landmark series, Christian Dogmatics, a series of books devoted to this idea, this belief that God, when he speaks, he does it so that we can hear him, so that we can know what he said, so that we can speak his word back to him. It doesn't change. It's stable. It's trustworthy. It's steadfast. It's, well, it's doctrine. That sound doctrine isn't just a set of right answers to be kept on a shelf. It is the effect that happens when the Holy Scriptures of God, by grace alone, through faith alone, point you unwaveringly to Christ alone as life's answer, as the salve we need in the midst of this age of darkness, this valley of death. And St. Paul, he exhorts us, all of us Christians, to hunger for this truth, to watch your life and your doctrine closely, to persevere in them knowing that if you do, this is salvation. You will save both yourselves and your hearers. But warning, for the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they're going to turn aside to suit their own desires. They're going to gather around them a great number of teachers to teach what their itching ears would rather hear. But you, Christian, are to hold firmly to this trustworthy message, this word that has been taught from the beginning. And so also then learn to encourage others. I have as guests with me today as we engage these words from Dr. Pieper, Pastor Samuel Schulteis of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Huntington Beach, California, and Pastor Sean Danzer of Trinity Lutheran Church, Great Bend, North Dakota, and Peace Lutheran Church in Barney, North Dakota. Welcome, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, good to be here, Jonathan. Thanks for having us on. And uh, right now, we're, we're actually, I'll, I'll give away, we're recording this episode a couple weeks ahead because of Christmas time, and right now it's about negative 15 where Pastor Danzer is in North Dakota. And how warm is it uh, where I you are, Sam? It's warmed up to negative two, actually. Negative two. Good night. You put on the sunscreen. How warm is it out by you, Pastor Schulteis? Oh, it's, uh, you know, all the Southern Californians have their parkas on, and it's about 65. 65, <laughs> a chilly day in yeah, California. Right. But there's good news from the Danzer household. Little baby in utero, ready to come out next summer? Yeah, we're looking forward to it, so it'll be our third. And congratulations on that, and uh, always exciting well, to have life uh, springing forth as God has given the great gift to woman to, to be our future in that way. So, okay, today's topic continues on Pieper's definition of religion. And in the past couple of weeks, he's been trying to, to insist and show that the world keeps wanting to define religion in such a way that it can squish Christianity into its definition, but that Christianity doesn't fit. It won't fit into the definitions of religion as man in his flesh would define it. And so he says then there are therefore really two separate religions, one that everything kind of fits into, and the other one that is extremely different. And the distinction, above all things, obviously, the body of Jesus, the Trinity, all these things are, are what make this real. But if you're like trying to learn how to discern it, if you're trying to learn how to smell the flavor, the distinction is salvation by grace versus salvation by works. Finding that grace then revolving around in that vicarious atonement, that replacement of us with Jesus on the cross, that the works that we've done are punished there, but that the righteousness that he earns there is what's given to you through faith. And then he's what we're picking up today is where he's summarizing this with a quotation. We're going to be moving through chapter, uh, pages 12 and 13 if you got your book out at home. He's got a quote from Romans chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 11. It says this, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received atonement. So there he brings up justification. He brings up atonement, all the stuff he's been kind of riffing on as what distinguishes us from the religions of the world. Any thoughts on that, guys? Well, I think one of the interesting parts that uh, Peter brings out there from, from Paul is exactly what you mentioned, uh, the idea of the, uh, the justification, the atonement. I've used this uh, in conversations with a number of people, both in our own church, preparing them to talk with their neighbors and friends and families about the gospel, but also, you know, on different, just different public places, college campuses locally and everything like that. Um, there's 
two religions. You, you talked about it as being one of uh, justification by grace through faith in Christ and one by justification by works. Uh, the, the way that I've talked about it with other people is uh, there's basically two religions, free and not free. So you have Christianity where the gospel is completely free. Christ does everything for you. And every other world religion is not promising you a savior. They're promising you some kind of guide or teacher or guru or something. And then they're going to give you a set of rules or laws or uh, five pillars or so forth uh, to try to climb, ascend, achieve, and so forth uh, so that you can then earn merit reward. And it's not free. Uh, Christianity, on the other hand, is free, uh, especially as we're coming out of the Christmas holidays and into the epiphany season now. Uh, Christ's free work of uh, liberating us from sin, death, and the devil is on display uh, You know, in the hymns, the songs, the readings, all of that. Yeah, justification yields something. That's kind of what this passage is. Coming at the end of 3 and 4, which do a good job of explaining the justification by faith. Here it says, therefore, you know, since since we've established this and recognized this, we have peace. We have, we have peace with God. Um, something's been accomplished that affects us. Um, and I, I think that's a great way to paraphrase what Pastor Schulteis said about freedom. Uh, what are we free from? We're free from this fear, this uh, monkey on our back to try and earn some kind of peace with God instead of being at war with him constantly. But he's accomplished this for us. Now we have it. We are at peace with him. And it yields all sorts of other great things, rejoicing and joy, right? Even that phrase, peace with God, I think we need to be careful with. I don't, I don't think we can beat this drum hard enough uh, because American religion defines peace when you're talking in the spiritual realm as primarily a piece of uh, emotion, a piece of mm. quietness and stillness. And it's not that peace with God doesn't actually give that. I think it does. Um, but that's not the source. Uh, the source is what you just mentioned, that God was at war with us. And now in Jesus, he said, I'm not at war with you anymore. I'm at peace with you. Like literally an armistice, a ceasefire. And it's in that then that our consciousness can have this maybe peace of soul. Uh, and it's not that you don't want to, you want to get rid of that peace of soul, but you don't want to make that the measure of peace. Uh, the measure of peace is God's word about peace. And any uh, peace and conscience that that would give us is just kind of icing on the cake, I think. It's Christmas time. We're about to hear that famous phrase, right? Glory be to God on high and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Doesn't that sound warm and fuzzy? Let there be peace on earth. But I mean, look at the Christmas toy, right? God sends his warriors, his angels, and you know what they're there for. They're there to wage war um, because he's an enemy of ours. We've made him our enemy. And yet they don't wage war. They, they come bring a message of armistice. You're right. And the other thing that Pastor Danzer mentioned that is helpful is that peace, you know, we want to make it about uh, an emotional kind of thing or an experiential, a very subjective thing. Uh, the angels coming, as you mentioned, the, the story of the gospel, the Christmas story is all about God's objective peace. You know, there's a child in a manger in Christ. Uh, there's, you know, wise men, shepherds, all these things come and happen. It, it's all happening outside of us. Uh, finally, on the cross, of course, we see this this peace of God there for us in in full display. Right, uh, Jesus says that when He's lifted up, He will draw all men to Himself. And uh, there, there are the things that make for peace that He was talking about before, as He was weeping over Jerusalem um, prior to His triumphal entry. It reminds me of something that Augustine once said about you know, our hearts being restless until we find our rest in Thee, O Lord. And uh, we really do try, especially this time of the year, it seems, you know, before and after the holidays, we, we try to find that rest and that peace in something in this world. Uh, and we, we never quite seem to find it gratifying or satisfying uh, when, in fact, Christ has given us that same exact peace all along in himself, in his word, in his supper, uh, in those things that make for peace, in the justification that Paul was talking about and that uh, Peeper helps expose as the substance of the Christian faith. One of the hard things to recognize is that none of the things which we make idols are actually usually bad things. They're usually really good things. But then we try to make them do something that they can't do. We try to make, just as an example, the Christmas tree and the dinner and the presents serve as a final and everlasting peace. And they just can't do it. And so you end up seeing people spend a lot of energy, a lot of motion and time trying to hold that idol up. And then the moment there's a disagreement at the table with, you know, old aunt, you know, whoever, uh, who, who's it's, what's it's about <laughs> politics or religion or whatever, then we're all just, it, it, it's amplifying the anger and the rage because we're trying so hard to fake 
the peace, right? We're trying to make this peace out of the present things rather than receive the peace, which again is this objective declaration that really can't be taken away no matter how much we might argue with each other about, I don't know, whoever's in the White House or whatever. So Peeper's also been dealing with then this word relationship he actually brought up. He doesn't say it that way, though. He says personal relation. But the idea that man's relation to God and religion in general is is how people define their religion, is, is finding a way to get immediate contact with God. But the fact remains, he says, that the Christian religion and the religion of the heathen differ in their essences, that is, in the mode and manner of worshiping God. So it's not that man does not relate to God in Christianity, but the way we relate to him is entirely different, particularly works versus grace, but also then kind of amazingly, incarnationally, the idea that God relates to us physically through these items that he's attached his word to. Any thoughts on that? I kind of thought personal relationship was a newfangled thing. I didn't realize it was this old. Uh, but it always has struck me that it, I mean, it, people always will come up and say, you know, everything's about relationship. And I'm wondering if that's kind of a, it's not as deep as they think it is. Uh, of course, everything's related to everything, everything. I mean, wherever you have more than one thing, they have to be related to each other somehow. Uh, that, that's part of it. Everybody's got a relationship with God. The question is, how do you have it? And in what way is it? Does it yield peace? Is it this kind of thing that Paul talks about in Romans 5 or... You could have all kinds of. You could have a very angry relationship with God too, and that'd be a problem. Yeah, I was I was going to comment on the uh, the, the difference in the the worship part that uh, people brings out here too. And part of it fits in very well with what Pastor Daniel was mentioned about the uh, the relationship. Uh, what kind of relationship is it? Uh, we talked before about you know. Uh, the difference of the two religions that Peter has brought us uh, brought to our attention, being uh, you know, one of law and gospel, one of justification, one of works, uh, one of free and not free worship, comes down uh, a lot uh, to that same kind of idea too. That uh, majority of the world, if you ask them, you know, do one of those old Jay Leno man on the street things or Jimmy Fallon things that he likes to do in Times Square. Uh, what is worship about? Most people, I think, are going to say something to the effect of, "Well, it's it's uh, I'm doing this praise for God, or I'm doing this, or I'm it's my duty, my obligation, and and that kind of thing." It's the exact opposite. Is worship something that we do, or is worship a gift? that God gives to us. And again, not that there's anything wrong with praising God. Not that there's anything no. wrong with singing songs or responding to God. The question is, is that what Christianity, what God thinks religious worship really is? And the answer is no. Worship, right. divine service, Godesdienst in the old German, is God giving a gift to you that you can't achieve, you can't call down, you can't earn in any way, shape, or form. And then so this is where goes right to where people was. The nature and character of Christian worship, what we're just talking about there, differs radically from that of the worship practice in all other religions. Christians worship God as the God who bestowed grace upon them, not on account of the works of the law, it's like not on account of anything you would do, even something spiritual you would do, but for the sake of Christ's vicarious atonement. To non-Christians, however, the worship and service of God is the performance of a religious duty, dictated by the fear of God's wrath and aimed at winning God's favor by keeping of the law. Reminds me of a time when I was uh, flying somewhere on a weekend. I don't fly on Sundays very often, but but I, I was flying on a Sunday. Maybe it was a Saturday evening, and I heard an announcement over the speakers, and it was that the there was a mass, a Roman Catholic mass being offered in the chapel at the airport, you know, in 15 minutes. And it ended with this phrase, this will fulfill your weekly obligation. Ouch. Yeah, right? Like, that's why you go, because you have to please God this week. And if you don't, well, you never yeah. know what he might do to you. Right, yeah. If you don't throw the virgins into the volcano fire, uh, the whole island's going to erupt and, uh, you know, Armageddon's coming. Yeah. It's one of the few things North Dakotans know about Catholics. Eh, they know quite a bit. But our Lutherans definitely know that they get to worship on Saturday night. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, that's an old tradition in the church. We're kind of Hebrew in that way. The day starts in the <laughs> evening, so it's the first service of Sunday. And we're cool with that, too. Uh, that's what Christmas Eve, the vigil of Christmas is. But uh, for them, it has to do with that obligation. They say it every time. Uh, sometimes if you're lucky enough to have like a Saturday funeral or Saturday uh, wedding, they'll even say it fulfills your obligation. And well, that goes back to they really do believe there are holy days of obligation and missing it is a mortal sin. And uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that word in German, uh, Pastor Fisk, Gottesdienst. 
all when we're talking about this word worship. Uh, I don't know if our forefathers like Pieper were just kind of centered in their own culture. They thought that German was like the only language you could do theology. Uh, and they were hesitant and skeptical about English, which is what you and I work in. But the word worship hurts us in English already because the word worship is a particular kind of relationship with God. In fact, it's it's the second kind that he mentioned, this religious duty, this ascribing of worth to God, a praise. And it, it necessarily has the subject as me. I'm the one doing the praising. I'm the one fulfilling duties and obligations. And uh, in German, that word Godestines kind of can go both ways, gives room for both of them. And therefore, we can talk about, well, which comes first and which comes as a response. But in English, we're kind of hamstrung by that. Uh, and that's just the way the word worship works in our language. Yeah, it's a tough kind of nerdy fact, but, but an important one in this sense that German was defined by Lutheran theology when Luther translated the Bible into German. It really wasn't an, an official language. It was a, an assortment of dialects. And so as a result, it just was infused with thinking the way that the Bible talked. English, not so much. English was really defined by the King James Bible, which happened to be uh, kind of at the hands of, now I know some might be out there listening, the Reformed, the Calvinists. And so it got a very different edge to it. And certain words, uh, even words like church itself, as a result, are more fluid in English than they really are in the Bible, uh, meaning a building. You know, the Bible never mentions church related to being a building. You know, that's kind of the common use of the word today. Worship, like you said, is an eye to God action as opposed to the divine service or the, the liturgia uh, of, of a public service that the, the Greek New Testament talks about. So it's certainly an important thing to reckon with. And sadly, there's no way around it other than knowing... Nope. As a Lutheran, when I worship, it means I receive a gift, right? That, that God is doing something, uh, not for me. I also had another thought. It's a little late for this one, but I, I just got to share this one. You mentioned the, the Roman Catholics worshiping on Saturday evening because it's still technically Sunday morning. So here's my real right. question then. Okay, so then if, if we start the worship service at, say, 30 minutes before sundown, and then it finishes 30 minutes after sundown, can I just go once for two weeks but have it count? Right? Because I'm, I'm like straddling the week. You have to talk to your priest on that. Yeah. One. But that, in, it's, I'm joking, but in a sense, it also demonstrates that's where this kind of religion goes. It, it goes to how can I work around the religion? What can I do to do as little as possible to make God happy? Because clearly, I still want to be God of my own life. How can I placate the gods and yet only throw one of my virgin daughters into the volcano so I can sell the other three and have a bunch of cows or whatever, right? It's yes, always— because if your, if your religion is the law, who's the most important character? It's, it's the lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> and the lawyers are all about finding the loopholes. Uh, and the leniencies and the precedents and uh, well, I mean that's that really is their job. But if that's your religion, that's your cleric as a lawyer. The movie Office Space. You know, if you want me to do the bare minimum of work and wear thirty-five pieces of flair, Brian, then tell me to wear thirty-five pieces of flair. But that's that's how the law ends up reducing us to this continual hamster cycle that just never ever ends. It, it just keeps going on. And eventually it, it either crushes you. Uh, you know, the Pharisees had over 600 different kinds of uh, laws uh, following the rabbis to try to keep this, none of which ended up doing the job either. Maybe there's some insight here into when Paul says that the law came to increase the trespass. We're already rebels, but putting us under the law makes us rebel more, right? Like the more you tell me this is what you got to do, the more I'm going to try to get my way around it. I'm, I'm going to end up trying to, to funk my way through it. And I, I can't help but remember, and I remember this as a kid myself, and I remember it as a pastor teaching kids, coming of age when they're recognizing that the opposite uh, sex is, is attractive, and trying to talk about issues of the Sixth Commandment, the question is always, effectively, how far can I go and it's okay? You know, I, can I can I hold hands? Can I hug? Can I kiss? How, how far can I go? And the question itself is a rebellious question, right? It's a question asking... It doesn't a question that doesn't believe evil's evil. It, how close can I get to evil before I become evil? Can I like be friends with it? Right? Is that okay? <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Flee sexual immorality. That's what Paul said. That's that's very different. You're right than flirting with it or looking towards it or, well, I mean that gets deep into the heart of original sin. That it is in fact a desire. It's a thought. It's by the time any deeds happen. Sin's been more than crouching at the door for a long time. 
So the next quote I have from Peeper is one in which I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I kind of was like struggling with it. I, I think he's right, but I don't think he's like, all right. I at least want to add to it. He says, and he's trying to distinguish here how Christians are different in our view of works than uh, the heathen and the pagan and the unbeliever is. And I totally agree with that. That's what we've been talking about this entire time. So he's trying to give a motivation. Why would a why would a Christian then do a good work and trying to head off at the past that person who would say, oh, you believe in a religion of grace, that means you're an antinomian. You don't believe in the law. Well, no, no, that's not what it means. And so he talks about this idea of gratitude. He says, Christians present their good works not as a ransom to pay for their sins, no problem there for me, but as thank offering for the redemption that Christ has affected. I think he's trying to tie that to the Old Testament, to recognize that in the Old Testament, there are things where sometimes a, a Hebrew believer, an Israelite, would just want to give a gift to God. They just want to do it. A free will offering, right? Got a thank offering. He's just, just going to do it. And so he's showing that, and then this is true, that we are, because mercy's poured into us, merciful, right? As, as God has loved us, so we do love each other. Uh, but I also, I think I disagree with placing the entire emphasis of a Christian's love for good works on gratitude, because then it almost becomes, or it can become like, I want to pay God back for what he's done. And at least that's the way that when I was brought back into the church, I spent some dark times away from the church and I was in reformed circles. That's kind of the way that it went. It went. It's like now uh, that God has done this for you, it's out of gratitude. You're going to go climb the ladder back up to God. And it just kind of puts you right back where you were. It's not that the Christian's not grateful, but I don't think that we really ultimately present our good works to God at all. That's not why we do them. At least he doesn't need them. We do them because they're they're good. And so in that sense, you present your good works primarily, at least the ones of the second table of the law, you present them to your neighbor because they're what your neighbor needs, because they're goods that are actually just worth doing in themselves. They're not going to be paid for or repaid for. They're just an actual regeneration of the spirit, loving good rather than loving evil. Any thoughts on that? Am I off the heresy bridge? I think you're on to something there. I think it's uh, it's common even for even for Lutherans to fall into that trap of wanting to wanting to use the works of the flesh, right? The uh, the opinion legacy, the opinion of the law. We're always going to fall back on that because uh, our old sinful flesh, our old Adam, loves that kind of thing. Uh, an illustration about this that I often talk about in uh, Bible class with our folks here is that you know when when the Mormons come to your door, they're not doing it because they love you uh, <laughs> and they want to see you in eternity uh, with all the all the riches and uh, planets and everything, but because they have to do it for them to get to heaven. So right. it's really not about you; it's about them. Uh, so when we as Christians do good things for others, we want to keep in mind that these good works really are. God doesn't need them, and you don't need them either because Jesus has done everything for you. So who needs them? Well, your neighbor does. So love your neighbor in this way, you know, in the way the Scripture has given us um, to love them. It's interesting you brought up the free will offerings. I'm not a Levitical scholar, but uh, I seem to remember that those aren't exactly like we think of free will donations, right? Which, you know, even free will donations— I mean, you're still a chump if you don't put anything in, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think you're on to something that um, these who can give a gift to God to actually repay him. And it's 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 amazing how similar this idea is to works of super irrigation in the Roman mm. Catholic thinking mm. that, you know, there are, in fact, works you can do that are extra. Um, you know, a good Christian person would do these extra works as kind of a free gratitude gift to God, uh, a, a works righteous person would have to do these extra things, I guess, to make up for their sins. But now when you bring in the word duty, a duty, I don't think we can ever lose that. But the trouble is all of our works, which are to be perfect and blameless and good all the time, are always required by God. That's, that's why it's impossible, in fact, to pay for your own sins. You don't have any extra good works to, to make up for bad ones, he required not two bad two good ones to make up for two bad ones. He required four good ones, and it's too late. As a sinner, he you're never... in nothing but debt all the time. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news, and we want to counter that debt bad news with some good news about Jesus when we come back on the other side of this break. Stick around.
Hey, Pastor Hawkinson, here's a good one. How did a turkey help older adults take control of their health? Well, wouldn't you like to know the answer? I can tell you that when he bowled three strikes during bowling for wellness, of course. (laughs) That sounds fun. (laughs) Yes. Sponsored by Lutheran Senior Services Affordable Housing, Bowling for Wellness is a yearly event that raises needed dollars for health and nutritional programs wellness kiosks, and parish nurses, all to help older adults take control of their health. On January 26th at 10 o'clock in the morning during Faith and Family, Lutheran Senior Services will be in studio to talk about this upcoming family-friendly event and its impact in our community. Get a sneak peek of the events and learn more about Bowling for Wellness at lssliving.org slash events. KFUO embracing today's technologies to bring the good news message of Christ to the world. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth or sync up to listen in your car while driving anywhere. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org. On the air, online, and on demand, the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. The NLS Braille and Talking Book Program gives patrons the freedom to read their way. Everybody can read the way they want to read using this program. For more information, call 1-888-NLS-READ. Next week on Issues Etc., we'll discuss Gnosticism and politics with Pastor Peter Burfind. We'll talk with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller about four things that can inform your conscience And we'll continue our series on the Lutheran Confessions, talking with Pastor Paul McCain about Luther's large catechism, the sacrament of the altar. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. Russia has a horrible record when it comes to the unborn. 70% of their pregnancies end in abortion. So it was a welcome development when the Russian Orthodox Church and local health officials of one Russian region banned abortion for a single day. It was on the commemoration of the Massacre of the Innocents when King Herod killed the baby boys in Bethlehem. This one-day reprieve is welcome, but Russia needs to go much further to protect their greatest natural resource, preborn children. For example, if Russia would decrease their abortions by 50%, their population would stop shrinking and they'd have stable growth. But the long-term solution for many of Russia's woes would be to stop abortion completely. If so, they could become a prosperous nation. Follow us on Twitter at Life Issues USA and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fist, talking with Pastor Sam Schulteis and Pastor Sean Danzer about religion as seen through the lens of Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian dogmatics, and particularly riffing on the idea that we're all in debt uh, from the beginning of our fall until now, so there's no way we can actually pay or even saved by Jesus repay him for what he's done. In fact, why would we want to repay him? It's a it's a gift, but we don't want to lose either the idea that gratitude is a real thing. It's part of the regenerate life. Uh, that duty is a real thing that's part of the regenerate life. And so maybe this will help a little bit. He, Peter then quotes Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, and this is to summarize his, his talk about gratitude, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, clearly, Paul isn't saying uh, the life I live as a saved person is just gratitude driving me to obedience, right? It's not quite like that, but neither is it without faith, and faith in God's love is clearly going to be different uh, than just a life lived in the flesh. There's going to be effects and affects on the way a Christian thinks about God, on the way he thinks about his neighbor, uh, on the way he thinks about everything, because, well, you're, you're a new man, and we, we don't want to discount that. In fact, I think that's really what we're arguing for, is that there's a power in that new man that wasn't there before. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, you know, it, Jesus talks about a good tree uh, bearing good fruit, and that's 
precisely what has happened in the in the baptism in the word by the spirit uh, in the new man that is given to us uh, is that you are you know, we who were not good trees before we were dead stumps uh, now have been grafted into Christ the vine and we are we are now a tree that does does bear good fruit and part of that good fruit is yeah, a life of thanksgiving uh, a life of uh, doing uh, unto others uh, and all this of course is done by faith having been set free from uh, the flesh having been given the new man it's interesting to think about the luther uh, describing the first article of the creed still says for all this that he's given to us it it's, is my duty to thank he doesn't just say for all this i owe him some thanksgiving uh, yeah, but it's not as if it's anything new, really. Um, there, there—that's the trouble with with the law. It it always is going to accuse anything that's outside of it. It 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 always demands the works before they're even done. Uh, the gospel also produces the works before they're asked, though. So, um, yeah. I wonder almost if Peepers picked up on the word gratitude because what do you do when we're talking about God's work for us as a gift? Well, everybody knows you're supposed to say thank you. But, but isn't it funny how our parents are so great at teaching us how thank yous become this burden? How much of this isn't what we were talking about earlier about German and English, though? I mean, my problem with the word obedience and obey, and I have a major problem with it. I almost never use them when I'm teaching because I want to teach Lutheranism. And the problem is not that the Bible doesn't teach us what maybe obey should mean, but that in English, it's gotten this connotation now, which effectively means, like you just said, it's sort of like it's works righteousness. The word itself has a, as an edge to that. And so you, at the very least, have to teach around that edge whenever you use the word. So I've started using other words like um, loving to do the good work, right? Uh, which is a little, it's the exact same same thing, frankly, in the in the real classic biblical sense, but the English word comes with baggage, and the same thing is true of the word duty. Uh, we mentioned worship again. How much of it is that? And then I guess an open question, which really isn't one Peeper's asking or answering, is you know how do we, as a people of of uh, unclean speech, uh, in a land of unclean speech, uh, retain, guard, keep, cherish what the scriptures are trying to hand us in word and sacrament and in, in law and gospel. And part of it continues, like you said, to, to teach, to use. Uh, I've, I've found some helpful, uh, I guess, moments or times in, in both in Bible class or conversations with members and people in our community where I'll just ask them, what do you mean by that word? Whether it's maybe it's something like obedience or gratitude or worship um, or other words. And then, and then I'll try to, on the other hand, be very careful and deliberate about defining what I mean by a particular word for them, especially if I know that it's somebody that's maybe coming to our church for the first time that the word divine service doesn't mean anything to them. But it gives you a good opportunity to say, All right, this is what we mean by it, in distinction or in contrast, maybe to what you've heard about things like worship or good works you know, outside in other Christian churches or just in the world around you. It's a tricky thing. You, there's no way to get around these uh, the, the word difficulties. We definitely see that all over the place. Uh, I don't think it has to bother us so much. Here's where you know, Paul's comment about the pattern of sound words is always helpful. Yep. Um, and I think in whatever new ways we want to explain things, and, and we probably do from time to time need to look at things or say, hey, this word is so bent out of shape in our world's usage that it at least presents a little bit of an obstacle to us, uh, even as Christians, to make use of it still. But it's so wonderful when you see how maybe a new explanation fits in great harmony. I think about the one you you substituted for obedience, this love of the good work, right? Right. And and I and I like how it has the the trouble of our our situation in this life that um right love is is all over the Bible as um as still a word of law, right? Uh, you tell someone to love, that's still a command. And you know what? The command to love someone is maybe the clearest one. It doesn't produce it. You can never tell anybody, love me more, and that's going to make it happen. It doesn't have any energy or power in it. Um, and it's interesting. Paul doesn't say, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by gratitude. But it is by faith. I mean, the, the faith is the source of that life. Um so, so it's a little strange to say the life then is something we're producing as if it comes from us apart from the faith. You know, John's, uh, not his gospel, his, uh, his three letters are quite different when you read them and you understand that the love of God is one of the ways he talks about faith. 
And it is yeah. not about me, again, climbing to God with my peaceful emotions, which would be the way mm-hmm. that the English word love, and we're dealing with the word again, uh, is is really just understood in our context. So this this brings it around again to translation. And it, you got a fine line there between the pattern of sound words and faithful translation of the scriptures. And, it, you know, I don't think you want to fall off the horse on either side, uh, rejecting either of those, I think. Yeah, the uh, the word love, of course, we uh, we could probably talk about that for another whole segment. Uh, <laughs> we've uh, we've mentioned that in a couple of times today, and I think it's helpful too that you know, we've discussed this uh, around a number of different studies here at church. Uh, recently, we've been we went through with the four loves by C.S. Lewis uh, last year uh, for a little bit, and we talked about the different usages of the word love in Greek, and and a lot of it happens to uh, fall down not so much on the emotion uh, subjective part of it, like you mentioned, Jonathan, but uh, on the objective action and work of Christ for us, which is exactly where Paul Paul runs to in this verse, is that, look, the life we live now is by faith in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Uh, It has a specific deliberate action. It's the cross. It's him giving himself for us. And then comes the part we were talking about before, the the thanks and the response of that, Um, not as a a duty, obligation to make the cross any better, but simply as, what do you say at the end of a prayer? You say, amen, uh, gift received. That brings us full circle then, because uh, this really isn't a part of Peeper where he's dealing with good works. What he's trying to do, and he'll do that later, what he's trying to do is distinguish Christian worship and therefore Christian religion from the religion and worship of the world. And he, he brings it home with this uh, wonderful comment here, basically, again, talking about the idea of grace alone, under grace alone, only such a worship and service of God is God-pleasing and fitting, which harkens back to, he said a number of other statements that if you're trying to worship God by works, you're worshiping demons, uh, that the religions of the world are effectively the religion of the devil because they're all made of lies. It, fighting words, <laughs> right? Not words to make friends with your Muslim neighbor by just shouting them over the fence, right? Uh, and probably not the way you would want to do it, but important distinctions for you to gird up your heart with when those Mormon missionaries come to your door and you have to talk to them about truth and falsehood and reality to recognize that they are effectively deceived by diabolical powers and the heart of the matter is grace the heart of the matter is believing well can i say it this way which side your bread is buttered on uh the heart of the matter is whether or not the cross did it did it or not yeah i found that uh that that gospel uh, that pure good news free forgiveness without any strings attached or conditions or you know fine print or asterisks i've I found when you get a chance to actually talk about that with people I mean, you get a number of different reactions, of course. And one that's common is just utter shock. You know, it's what? That, that can't be true. That sounds just too. That sounds too good to be true. But you have the opportunity there to say, well, no, it, it sounds too good to be true, but it, it really is. And then you can go along with the the trustworthy, dependable, verifiable kinds of things that uh, you had mentioned earlier in the beginning of the program. Finally, when you're freed from all of the of the strings, where the works are either you know really just really for my good directly, I'm going to do these good things and earn, or indirectly, I'm going to do these good things so that it basically I pay back and it goes well for me. We're finally free to do them what's at hand uh, for the sake of it needs to be done. It's good. Uh, and that's not that profound. I, I don't think it's it's a point to, that you have to um, stick on for so long or I think it's a wonderful theological insight. But only the gospel can actually free that kind of thinking to ever come out of us because uh, it, it strips away our works as, as being um, available to please God and being some kind of over and above and beyond the call of duty, which he'd be impressed by. But that's our opinion of God must want us to impress him. Once once he knocks the ladder out from underneath you and just forces you to stand there with him staring down at you, then at the at that time, finally, he can stand you up, he can dust you off, he can put a new robe on you, and he can say, oh, look, you got these other people here with you too. I love all of them. I love all of you. And that's what I'm all about. Uh, there, I was uh, blessed to sit by... Uh, Pastor William Whedon, the chaplain at the International Center here where KFUO Studios is, at a Christmas party, the, the kind of the employee Christmas party for the building last week. And we got on a discussion, go figure, of uh, of sanctification and theology. All this. And he sent me this article, which I thought was really, really helpful, where it effectively defined sanctification or, or Christians, uh, the Christian good work ultimately as being a, 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 a faith of self-forgetfulness. That the, the real good works 
are these ones that I don't see. They're, it's not that they're not happening. They are happening. I'm just not doing them for me. <laughs> I'm doing them for everybody else. Even hearing God's word, I'm not hearing it for me as if I'm like going to get something better than you out of it and use it in, in my own benefit. I am sanctified. I am self forgetful. Our our lifestyle now as Christians in both the flesh and the spirit in the present age is always going to be in a war between those two things. But if we want to talk about, I'm perfectly okay with talking about things like progressive sanctification. If by that we mean thinking about myself less and measuring my works less, but actually having Jesus at work in me more. Yeah, John, John the Baptist's famous quote, right? Uh, Jesus must increase uh, exactly. and I must decrease. And, and that works that way in the, in the life of sanctification too. Uh, think about the sheep and the goats uh, in Matthew 25, the same kind of way. What, Lord, we didn't know that we were doing all these things. And yet, like you said, yet they were. I have to believe we're going to go on now to Romans 12, which is exactly this denying ourselves, uh, that that we're presenting ourselves as a sacrifice, which which is a wonderful phrase because it has, I mean, it's, it's more than just now we're going to set out to do the right thing, but it also involves the denying yourself, taking up a cross, and following mm-hmm. after Christ. Yeah, that is where Peter goes. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. A text which I think, again, gets pulled out for the wrong reasons, kind of as a way to hamstring the opinio legis, the opinion of the law, back into worship, that somehow now worship is about our sacrifices as in we're just going to be doing these amazing things, getting better and better, uh, even leaving behind the idea of of gift and uh, coming back into some level of, of growth or strength. And at times I've heard this as well being being used to advocate uh, a more exciting worship, uh, a more fulfilling worship, uh, a more uh, emotional worship, all of which is like, well, what makes, again, what makes Christian worship worship? Is it how I feel when I walk in or when I walk out? Is it whether I like the music? And when I talk about music, by the way, just got to know, I'm not talking about any particular style. I'm talking about all the music, whether I like the music or not, or is it whether those objective words, that objective, objective God is actually doing something to me? And then particularly here, Romans 12, presenting your body as a living sacrifice, that means killing you, killing me mortifying my flesh, destroying my old man, which means curbing him with the law. It means showing him the mirror of his ugly sin and his deservedness to die. And then, of course, it means also as a Christian, learning to love that law as the guide by which we live. But to to, to be a spiritual sacrifice, this isn't fuzzy worms. <laughs> this is tentatio. This is suffering. This is struggle against myself and my own will. Yes, and here's the here's the Christian as priest, right? Uh, the priesthood of all believers. We're all priests. Well, what does a priest do? He, he offers sacrifices, and prayer is one of those. Here's the other one. Paul says it's that it's that our bodies and our whole lives are a different kind of sacrifice. It's not a you know blood shed the blood uh, atoning sacrifice, but it's a it's a living sacrifice. But but you're right, there is a death involved, and. It, I think it's got to be exactly what Jesus is saying. If anyone wants me, my disciple, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I think in one of the trans, one of the uh, gospels, it even says deny daily. Right. Right. Uh, and this is where I get the understanding of what does baptism indicate. Well, it indicates that this drowning is going to keep going on our whole lives, uh, which in turn provides room for rising to a newness of life that God can use to to accomplish some good for the sake of our neighbor. I've been working on uh, the the next book I hope to write called Echo, which maybe will come out next year sometime. And I'm working in the Lord's Prayer quite a bit. And I, I, I can't get over how little I think I actually ever pray this prayer. I mean, I say it all the time, but just just thy will be done. Just that one alone. To actually mean that. I mean, to, to think about it. Well, what, is, what it means to say, God, don't let me make any more decisions. Uh, God, take all the power out of my out of my hands. Uh, God, I really want this, but I don't give it to me. You know, thy will be done. Talking about the sacrifice of the will at this point to be subjected to the perfect, 
uh, reigning, universally true will of God. Now, this all happens in Scripture, of course, too. It isn't some spiritual juju, I play thy will, by, will be done, and then the clouds part and I see this magical sign. But to, to really be subjected to the Scriptures like that, um, I'll have to admit, my flesh, golly, I don't, I don't really want that prayer. Now, that's not what I usually am asking for with the rest of the prayers of the church. I'm asking for my will all the way through it. Bring peace to the nations right now. Make my life healthy, wealthy, and wise right now. And all this, but thy will be done, right? Even daily bread, you turn to daily bread, it's like, I don't want daily bread. I want next week's bread. I want next year's bread, you know? Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's just amazing how much this person needs to be crucified, needs to be sacrificed, uh, this person. And I, and I think that's what the gospel does do to us eventually, uh, constantly, daily, as you said. Baptism does this to us. But to remember that and to stop holding up the spiritual act of worship as if it's some sort of vibrant, living excitement and just overcoming of all negative emotions. I think that's one of the great strengths and, and really joys um, in the divine service is, is that uh, weekly when when we come uh, as the, the saints of God's people come to his house, you know, we come not uh, even though we may think we do, uh, we don't come to do something for God, uh, though, of course, there is the thanks and praise and there is the offering and there is the things that we do in response. But that's really not the primary purpose of what we're there for. Uh, we do rather come to receive those mercies of God that Paul talks about in Romans 12. So that as we you know, come to the altar, as we receive the body and blood of Christ, as we hear the absolution, as we make the sign of the cross in remembrance of baptism, you know, hear the word preached, sing and pray and all those things, God is, God is pouring his mercy out upon us and giving his mercy to us, uh, both physically and tangibly in all, those, uh, in all those good gifts, so that in the rest of our, uh, in the rest of our lives and our vocations, we are able to do as he has given us you know he, we are we are made uh, as his living sacrifices you know it's uh, like in the old testament the the holiness that was received was not uh, was not achieved by the people rather they came to god's presence to to receive it and they were given it and then were called to live as holy people uh, as a result in their again in their various uh, their various callings their their stations in life so like then the next thing that Pieper says, he, he goes back to talking about the definition of religion that the world has. He says, others again propose as the common denominator of all religions, the striving to bring life, striving of man to bring life to its highest fulfillment. And that means now, that means here that religion is not grace. It's us getting abundant life. And you'll even hear Christians saying that abundant life in the here and now. And golly, I just want to wretch. Here's your, here's your petition of the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. But but really, I want to pray that as my will be done. And isn't it natural to assume that my sanctified will is in fact God's will? This is this is the enthusiastic God is really located in my heart that that I think is rampant. And it's the assumption that if if I want to do something and I'm a Christian, or if I want to do something and it seems good to me, that. It is God's will, and that's maybe even how I know it's God's will that I want to do it. Um, and I think you just have to look at Eve, and I mean, she looked for herself, and and that was a big part of her of her sin. I mean, the original sin is second guessing God. If God were here, He would see just as I do that He made a mistake, and my goodness, He'd want me to correct it for Him, right? I'm going to do His will. Thy will be done. With that, then, we put the focus back onto ourselves. Pieper has a quote from a guy named Kern, again, trying to define all religions, although we would advocate Christianity doesn't fit here, but here's his definition. What is common to all religions is the striving of man to establish, broaden, and perfect his own personality and the human relationships with the aid of a higher superhuman power. This is so true for the natural man. This defines every single religion that you find out there. I personally like to follow a number of leaders and entrepreneurs and self-help people on on podcasts. I listen to them regularly when I commute to work because I like working on my personality. I like making my life better. I like perfecting myself. And this is, it's not that you can't ever work on this. It's not that you don't want to do this in your daily life, but to recognize that that it's not a religion, right? And that your religion as a Christian is the opposite of this. And that goes for both your justification and your sanctification, that it's not about a better me, right? It's about being under God again, where it's a better everything it is, it is a common uh, part of a common part of our existence i think uh, another another analogy that i've used or discussed with folks uh, that i learned from pastor mark jasa uh, is uh, you know what part of it comes down to what do we need 
as God's people. Uh, do we need a, a swimming coach? You know, if you're out in the middle of the ocean, uh, stuck far from land, farther than, farther than you could ever swim, do you need Michael Phelps to come and help you, uh, you know, do a little better butterfly uh, and a little better breaststroke to get back to land? Well, no, that's not going to help you. You need a big orange rescue helicopter that's going to come and, you know, the divers are going to come and save you and off you go. Uh, safe as can be, everybody lives and uh, is saved in the end. So when it comes to religion, when it comes to Christianity, do you need somebody telling you to have your best life now or to live the abundant life or to do this and that uh, and be be your your Jesus guide, your, your religious Michael Phelps? No, you need a savior that's going to reach down and come down and save you. And you can see how that difference will play out then in worship too. Closing thoughts, Tanzer? I wonder where there's any room for gratitude. We were kind of d discussing whether that's the best way to talk about good works at all. But um, I wonder where the room is for gratitude when the aim of everything and religion in particular is it's our striving, it's our effort, and maybe even God's in on this too, just to improve ourselves. It's uh, who do you think at the end? I, it's going to be me. I'm just glad that I am who I am. All right, Pharisee. <laughs> Thank God I'm not like, uh, oh, wait. Oh. Boy, you're right, Sam. There it is. In the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee is thanking God for something God has given him that he's using to try to prove himself to God. It's backwards. That is very awkward. But time and time again, whether it's the Christian religion or in other religions, this is what comes out. It ends up taking the good things God has given uh, and turning them into horrible false gods in that they become even our own works that we can offer back to him to please him. Uh, as if they were something that he hadn't given to us in the first place or, in a sense, required from us in the first place. Uh, there's no way that that can ever buy him off. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, chatting with Pastor Samuel Schultes of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Huntington Beach, California, and Pastor Sean Danzer, Trinity Lutheran Church, Great Bend, North Dakota, and Peace Lutheran Church, Barney, North Dakota, and new third time around father-to-be. Gentlemen, thank you for being on the show with me today. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you. Cross Defense is underwritten for you by the Luther Academy. You can check them out at lutheracademy.com. Get in touch with them. Let them know how much you appreciate their work that they're doing overseas and their work they're doing here in the U.S., including bringing you Cross Defense here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. We certainly hope you've heard that good news here in this last hour. Peeper says right there on page 13, only a non-Christian religion asks man to save and better himself by his own striving and efforts. Christianity doesn't do this. Christianity doesn't tell you, get on the ladder and climb up to God. It doesn't say, who's going to ascend the hill of the Lord? You will. No. Christianity has, well, good news. Not just news about how you can become a better person if you try hard enough. News about how there is a better God than you. A better God than you could ever imagine. It's, in fact, too good to be true in the fallen age. But it is true and actually good, period, revealed now in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you and to be revealed not just for faith but also for sight when Jesus comes again to do what he has left, which is to perfect you with self-forgetfulness, to make your eyes open to see that the good work is the gift and not something you would hold back up to God to see. See, didn't I do it right? Instead, you're just going to see the neighbor who benefits from that work. You're just going to hear your God giving to you eternity again and again and again. That's what we're all about here at Cross Defense, reminding you about that good news again and again and again. So come back next week for a little bit more. And until then, rock on. Rock on.